Well, hey there, freaks. It's your boy Marty Bent here to introduce you to this week's sponsors, a couple of companies that love to help you stack sats. First up, we got Honeyminer. Honeyminer is the easiest way to earn Bitcoin, a simple crypto mining application that uses your computer's CPUs and GPUs to mine cryptocurrencies and pays you out in Bitcoin. Installing Honeyminer is dead simple. One click and you'll be earning Bitcoin while you sleep. Download the app today at Honeyminer.com. That's Honeyminer.com. And if you want to help this podcast in particular out, go to StackingSats.com. That's our ref link. Currently available on Windows and Linux with Mac and beta. It'll be available to all these operating systems in the near future. Instantly start earning Bitcoin with your computer, CPU, and GPU today. I should mention, you get a free, that's free, 1,000 Satoshi Bitcoin bonus just for signing up at Honeyminer.com. You'll get that same bonus if you go to StackingSats.com too. It's a great way to fund the Lightning Network channel. Whether you have a spare laptop at home, a professional mining operation, Honeyminer is the easiest and most profitable crypto mining software available on the market. Join the hundreds of thousands, that's hundreds of thousands of users from 167 countries already mining on the network today. Start stacking sats now. Sign up at Honeyminer.com or StackingSats.com, whichever you prefer. Uh, next up, you guys know all about this company as well, Lolly. Lolly lets you earn up to 30% back in Bitcoin when you shop online. We've been pitching that they have 500 plus merchants for the last few weeks. Guess what, freaks? That 500 has been raised to 750. There's now seven, more than 750 merchants on the Lolly platform that you can shop from, including Jet, Overstock, SeatGeek, Priceline, Hotwire, Walmart, CVS, Best Buy, Gap, Macy's, Hilton, Marriott. Uh, the Basically, by shopping online via Lolly with these companies, you get a cashback deal on Bitcoin. You spend fiat and you stack sats. Uh, it's safe and easy. You can go to lolly.com slash ref slash TFTC, or you can use a special domain that our friend Matt O'Dell made at spendfiatstacksats.com. That is a ref link on Lolly. Uh, shout out to these sponsors, Honeyminer and Lolly. Really appreciate uh, the help that they've provided this podcast in particular. Uh, really excited for you guys to get into the interview with Jack. I had an incredible time. It was 30 minutes. It was a very quick 30 minutes, but I think it's a very dense 30 minutes. And I should disclose that Cash App has been a sponsor of this podcast in the past. But uh, there was very little Cash App talk in this podcast in particular. We stuck to Bitcoin. I think you freaks are going to enjoy it. Peace and love. What is up, freaks? Welcome back to Tales from the Crypt. It's your boy Marty Bent here in a very, very foreign studio on the left coast, uh, not in a bedroom, but in Square's office with a very important guest, a new member of the Casano team. I'd like to introduce you freaks to Jack Dorsey. Jack, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for coming by Square. <laughs> well, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. This is a huge, big fan of the companies that you've built over the years, Twitter being my favorite app. Uh, we're here to talk about Bitcoin now. Uh, as Tales from the Crypt goes, we usually get the tale of how you found Bitcoin. So how did you get into Bitcoin and start working with it? Yeah. Um, so when I was, uh, I grew up in St. Louis, Missouri and St. Louis, Missouri had this super active, um, hacker culture. Uh, I don't know if many of you remember the, the magazine frack, but a lot of the authors came from St. Louis and we had a ton of BBSs and we had Wash U that had a uh, internet backbone. And once I got on the internet, I found Usenet. Once I found Usenet, I found alt cypherpunks. Once I found alt cypherpunks, I got into cryptography in a big way. And this dream of uh, cryptocurrency, I just saw all the conversations around it. So 
that was my first introduction, at least to the, the concept and how fascinating it was. And then, um, uh, you know, didn't really do much with it, with the exception of just, you know, diving into programming cryptography and fascinated by that area um, until the white paper came out, read it, thought it was beautiful. I thought it was, you know, I, I think it's one of the most seminal works in the past 20 years in, in computer science. And, um, and, uh, it's fascinating by it, but didn't do anything with it at that time. 2014, we decided to do something with it. Um, we, we had this online store, um, that allowed our sellers to sell their wares online. Um, very, uh, you know, one button push to, go from the hardware register to uh, an online storefront. And we decided to enable buyers to use Bitcoin to purchase anything. And what we wanted to do is make that feel invisible to the seller. So the seller, we would instantly convert it to US dollar uh, and seller would just see US dollars. So it gave buyers with Bitcoin an opportunity to spend um, and buyers didn't really have to think about it. Um, we didn't see a lot of transactions. Um, not not a lot of people using Bitcoin back then were buying what our sellers were selling, which were, you know, candles and coffee and whatnot. So um, we we let it we you know we we kind of let it out there, but ultimately decided uh, to move away from that marketplace product. And um, and then in um, two years ago, I became fascinated by it again and. Uh, Cash app was having a hack week, and I went over and asked um, one of the engineers uh, I was close with, Mike Brock, if he wanted to do a hack week project with me, and um, he asked me what, and I said, well, I want to figure out if we can um, store Bitcoin and then go across the street and using our Apple Pay card be able to spend that Bitcoin to buy coffee um, at Blue Bottle Coffee. It's always coffee. People are always <laughs> buying coffee. I don't know why. Well, you know, we're we're from we're a very transactional company, I guess, and like we 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 focused first and foremost on on that. So, um, we uh, he said yes, and he did most of the work. Um, but uh, we almost got it done in a week. We didn't completely finish it, but we almost got it there. And then on that following Monday, we actually finished it, and I actually bought coffee with it, which was really cool. And then um, we just had some discussions. We just decided we're we're gonna actually make this live. And in the in the in the meantime, we we also decided we probably shouldn't do the instant conversion thing right now. We should probably focus on buying and selling. Um, and the reason why is because it was interesting to have that you know that the psychological aspect of you know um, using Bitcoin to purchase right now there were, there was you know just so much potential for it to increase in value. So you're thinking about that instead of the, the coffee you're buying. So if you sell and that goes straight on your card and then you make the purchase, at least you've cleared through that and, and it, it feels much, much cleaner from a psychological standpoint. Mm -hmm. And, um, and it, it took us some time, um, in the, that year is when Bitcoin had the massive run up. Um, and, uh, we learned a bunch along the way and I think we did, all the right things in terms of the right customer experience, looking at the community, making sure that we're going back to those Usenet days and contributing as much as we can. We still have a ton more work to do there, but um, it was an exciting start, and especially because we were the only public company doing it. So it meant we had to talk to the SEC and um, 
uh, kind of paved the way for others, which which we were also happy about. Yeah, no, it's uh, awesome to see what you guys have rolled out in the last year in particular. It's uh, a favorite, favorite app of uh, Tales from the Crypt freaks out there. We started a sac- stacking sats Saturday. Oh, awesome. Using uh, everybody buying $25 worth of Bitcoin. I saw that. I saw that on Twitter, all the yeah. screenshots. I thought that yeah. was awesome. I would have... Uh, I would have uh, participated, but I already exceeded my limit <laughs> on the cash app, so I couldn't. I couldn't purchase anymore. There's always tomorrow. We're gonna be doing it tomorrow again. Tomorrow, I probably can. I think. I think we have a limit that rotates every week or so. There we go. Um, <coughs> so stepping back and talking about like Bitcoin in general, uh, one of the favorite books of Bitcoiners is *The Sovereign Individual*. It was a book written in the mid '90s, and uh, a lot of Bitcoiners, like myself, would uh, believe a lot of the. Uh, sort of predictions they made in that book in particular have come to fruition, sort of disintermediation of media uh, and money in particular. So mm-hmm. I think what you've built at Twitter is, uh, I mean, it's the most powerful communication tool in the world, I would argue. It's, I mean, yeah, it's I agree with you. The, uh, the access to information, <laughs> the access to people, the fact that I was able to DM yep. you. Uh, Fastest way to get your thoughts to the whole world. Exactly. And so you have been on the front lines of sort of disrupting media and the sharing of ideas on Twitter. Is there anything with Bitcoin that you see like in parallel that sort of reminds you of early days of Twitter? or the trials Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, I, I, I think um, it's it's more the Internet, just this, this trend of the Internet and what the Internet enables and, you know, uh, this internet as a concept since 1979 it continues to break down these barriers of um and these boundaries that we put upon ourselves in terms of um communities or nations or cities or um just how we think about the segmentation of the world um and enables us to think about one um one humanity and uh i, I think y- we've seen that with Certainly networking, we've seen it with um, uh, media, we've seen it with communication, and it feels like one of the most critical last um, pillars of that is currency. And uh, I, I guess I just approach this as like, what what does the, ul- what does the inter- internet ultimately want? And it, it, it will want to have a native currency. It will want to have a, a currency that is effectively global um, and exist on its territory instead of through the territories of the various na- nation states that we have today. So I I think, um, I I can't think of anything more exciting than that. And also I think it, it speaks to internet ideals and where the world is inherently going. And um, I I think uh, anything, I don't want to wait around to for that to happen to me or to us as a company. I want to help make it happen. So that's why getting more into uh, Bitcoin and cryptocurrency was so interesting for us. I mean, it apart from artificial intelligence, there's no other technology that impacts Square more than than this. So we should definitely have a well-formed opinion on, on what it does, but also how to contribute and how to make it, um, how to make sure that we're contributing to the goodness of it, which is it was born on the internet. It was derived on the internet it was developed on the internet iterated on the internet it's for the internet so it requires a openness it requires a contribution model it requires in terms of development um and uh i I think all these are things that are interesting from a corporate perspective because we don't want to put too much of our corporate weight on like just this amazing uh, community that is so internet driven um so those are some of the questions we've been trying to figure out is like 
what's this corporate identity do for how where where is it positive and where is it negative and how how do we focus on more of the positives and and just admit like where there are negative ramifications i I think us pushing in the SEC conversations was generally positive for other startups that will follow us and um, other um, entities looking for <clears throat> models that will help ultimately support this community uh, to a broader audience. But still some open questions there. Yeah, no, it's actually, I was rereading um, an old Bitcoin post, one of my favorite, uh, Bitcoin is worse is better by a man named Guern. Where's that at? Uh, I saw send Miles a link if you can send it to you. Yeah. yeah. And Miles uh, got an ace on your team there. Um, he is, and he's sitting right next to us. <laughs> or at least on the other side of the table. Um, <laughs> no, so uh, a blog post written in 2011 beautifully describes Bitcoin. Actually, you mentioned Twitter in it as well. Um, and I actually thought of your interview with Joe Rogan uh, uh, when you were describing like the early days of Twitter, like how the hashtag and the at symbol came to be, and you said you were just reacting to uh, yeah. people using it and, and sort of uh, building what they yeah. were asking for with Bitcoin that's sort of different uh, especially since it's a distributed system and sort of designing and building on Bitcoin compared to Twitter uh, seems to be a completely different animal and yeah I don't know if you have experience with distributed systems but uh, just uh, from developing Bitcoin and and yeah. sort of how to like not being able to add features from a centralized team is, uh, is a unique uh, sort of barrier that we not barrier hurdle that we have to overcome yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I grew up, at least in my programming career, in the in a in the Linux and open source and that sort of community and and that and that fight punk before that, like this concept of working in public, failing in public, sharing sharing what you know. Um, I move eventually moved on to FreeBSD and OpenBSD, but that's another story. <laughs> um, the I I think early 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 Twitter where we had, um, I, I think it's interesting because it, it is amazing. Twitter it is so much a movement um, with a company to kind of give it auction and the auction being that we pay people to help continue to, to grow it, our, our, our employees. Um, but in early Twitter, like we just saw all these patterns of how people wanted to use Twitter. And we just took um, this approach of like, we want to, really observe and learn what Twitter wants to be. And we started with this concept of uh, broadcasting status and immediately actually one of our, our lead designer for the cash app is the first person that ever used the at symbol uh, on, on Twitter. And he was at buzz, which is his brother. And he was trying to communicate and address him directly. And, um, <clears throat> and we, we looked at that. We observed that the use case here is people are trying to communicate with each other, have a conversation. And once we, I took, you know, four hours in a cafe here called Stacks in Hayes Valley and, and coded that up and deployed it to production. And once we did that and added the replies tab, Twitter became less about just sharing status and more about conversation, which was further emboldened by, you know, Chris Messina using the first hashtag and uh, to organize tweets around topics. And, um, and that led us to buying a search engine that, that did that very well. Um, so... We also had this really thriving developer community that um, we had an extremely open API, uh, which also caused us some problems because we didn't have enough restrictions and it. it forces, it, it crashed the the service numerous numerous times. That and like the, the Twitter whale, the infamous Twitter yeah, whale. Our developer API was the root cause of that, and then anytime Steve Jobs would get up and talk about 
a new thing that Apple was launching, we would crash. Uh, those are those <laughs> are the two the only things that were somewhat predictable is um, uh, unrestricted use of the API and, and Steve Jobs. Um, but I, you know, I I think that we saw a lot of really interesting developer initiative and co-creation, um, and um, I'm sad that we pulled back on some of that. Um, would love to get back to a position where. Uh, we encourage much more of that, and you know we're 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 talking a lot about what that means and and what that looks like. But um, I think Twitter is interesting because it it it's it it's so um, it hit something so fundamental that it felt more like a protocol than a product mm-hmm. uh, and a company. Mm-hmm. And um, and and I guess there's some parallels with some things about. Bitcoin and and the community, but there's just so much more um, optionality and freedom and direction and experimentation that you can do with a uh, with a with a protocol that's not controlled by a corporation. Yeah, no, it's for me. I think I got on Twitter in 2011, but really didn't start using it till like 2013, 2014 when I found Bitcoin. And that's the one thing I learned using it in particular. Like you have to learn how to filter and, and find. Yeah the sources and the adversarial sources in a certain topic and yeah. put them together. And so that takes a lot of work. We're and that's where we can improve. Yeah. So that's where we're, we're just looking at my tweet deck there. I've been building yeah. my, my Bitcoin list for five years now. It's like almost 900 people and it's just like a stream. I feel like I'm in the matrix sometimes just everybody, yeah, yeah. Uh, crypto Twitter going at each other. Yeah. We had a, um, we had a, uh, a product manager who a long time ago had an idea of enabling you to, kind of view Twitter through the lens of anyone else's following graph. So mm. it'd be interesting to see yours. Right? <laughs> For me, it'd be interesting to see yours. That's yeah. actually, I've had, I think my uh, Bitcoin list has like 430 followers or something like cool. that. So it's like, I never thought people would follow the list, but. Uh, yeah, list is also something that I think is extremely powerful, powerful primitive, but we just haven't connected it into the mainline uh, service enough. Yeah. Um, well, while we're on the topic of Twitter, uh, a good friend of the podcast, Arjun Balaji, tweeted out today that you handed off the lightning torch. Uh, the year is 2024 via a Musk-like maneuver. Cash App and Twitter have morphed, creating a Bitcoin-native millennial bank on top of the most important communication platform on the planet to offer uncensorable speech and payments. Jack wins the Nobel Prize. <laughs> is this going to happen? Um, um, I, I mean, I, I think there's a lot of... Um, I think there's a lot of interestingness for... Obviously for Square, but also for Twitter around the trends that um, blockchain point to. And I talked a little bit about this on Joe Rogan and Sam Harris. Like, you know, we are, we we finally have line of sight to technologies that allow all content to exist forever. Strong annotation throughout it. Um, And that's really compelling. I, I think it's compelling from a, trust standpoint i think it's compelling from a data privacy and protection standpoint i think it's compelling from a content standpoint um so there's a lot to think about there um and certainly thinking thinking a lot about that what what does that mean for where twitter's value truly is um and uh i think uh, you know a lot of a lot of services like ours there's a there's a conflation with you know just the the mechanics of the of of the app and then also the content hosting and mm-hmm. I wonder if those things will start to break apart as you have more of these technologies used in in ways that they I, I feel like that they're pointing towards mm-hmm. so 
right now I'm just asking a bunch of those questions yeah. and, and of myself and uh, also of our team. Yeah, it's fascinating. I mean, <coughs> especially around like the concept of pseudonym pseudonymity on Twitter, uh, especially in the Bitcoin community. There's obviously a lot of pseudonymous people want to remain anonymous, and they provide a lo- lot of good information, like stopping the crypt, Shallon Fry. We would not have Segwit without Shallon Fry, who uh, basically figured out how to. He wrote BIP one forty eight, I believe. Yeah. Um, and that's uh, just interesting. And these these characters in particular provide a lot of value to to our community. But I do know there's a ton of bad actors, uh, and a lot of hateful speech coming from a lot of anon accounts. And it's I can't imagine sort of the the trouble you have to wade through, sort of dealing between what's earnest and what's not. And yeah, I I I I often get asked a question. You know, you you have they. I'm happy that you set it as pseudonymous because that, that's what we want to optimize for. It's not anonymity. We're not, we're not optimizing for people creating accounts, saying something, and deleting. We want to optimize for pseudonymity, which is built identity and ideally some built reputation around. And I think more importantly, like credibility, credibility around a particular topic. So focusing on like how we can understand credibility and authority within a topic in real time is a tough problem, but the right problem to try to solve. But, you know, people often ask me, shouldn't you just move to a real, real names policy like um, like Facebook? And, um, I mean, if you look at um, Facebook and you look at Twitter, I'd, I would ask the question, are they having the same problems we're having? I think you're doing it better. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, but, but the answer is yes. So it, there's no, it's not one single solution. You can't just right. run it uh, to real names. Uh, Renee Dinestra on the Sam Harris podcast recently said, that um, there's, you know, th- there's a lens to see real names as, as, um, as, as somewhat um, diminishing because it it kind of diminishes a healthy skepticism. Yeah. Um, and uh, and with with pseudonym, this might be a stretch argument, but with pseudonyms, at least you have you you bear this healthy skepticism, which I which I do believe is important. You you know you you wonder a little bit more. But um, there's a lot more we could do around identifying the humans on the platform and uh, trying to identify credibility uh, within topics um, and recognize more of the patterns of behaviors that some of these accounts take on. Um, we, you know, we have models that show if like we have some account who's going to your replies and just harassing you like crazy you know, it, we can predict that they're doing it to others as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's, that's interesting, but I, I don't think moving, s- switching purely to, to real names solves any issue at all. Um, and it takes away a real opportunity, some of which you mentioned, but also one of the reasons we think it's important is, you know, we have journalists in the world who, um, go behind a pseudonym and report, um, on their country, we have activists uh, in the world who fear for their life and their career uh, if they had to use their their real identity or email address or phone number. So th- these are the things we want to want to balance. Whistleblowers um, within companies or industry or government um, that we've seen uh, util- utilize the pseudonymity to to great effect. So we just need to think about the you know the balance of all those things as as we think about solutions. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I can't imagine the uh, the the gravity of that situation for you in particular. Um, 
It's uh, I, I don't know if I would want that burden. Learning a lot, and I, I, yeah. you know, I, 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 I love learning, and I, this is a super complex and um, interesting new space. Well, it's changing the world, and so like I'm obviously into Bitcoin. That's why we're here right now, hmm. uh, and and so like I'm fascinated about like the concept that we're born in this inflection point, and things are changing at rapid pace. Um, and like you said, it's so like Twitter. For me, the first time I realized Twitter's power was, I think it was 2012 when we were thinking about bombing Syria after uh, the rumors of chemical gas attacks. And I, I just, I think there was actually, uh, I think Twitter had uh, a role in us not uh, acting right away because people got on Twitter and sort of uh, basically voiced their opinion. And, mm. and uh, obviously there's world leaders on Twitter. There's people seeing it. You can see the hashtags. You can see the sentiment. And uh, so Twitter sort of flashed this example to the world, like, hey, these technologies are sort of curbing the state a little bit. And Bitcoin, I think, takes that to many orders of magnitude higher, mm -hmm. especially with money, because states mm -hmm. control money. And that's so, so that's what Bitcoin is trying to get. Uh, it's, it's a sly way, as Hike would say, a famous uh, Austrian economist. Uh, we will not have a good money until we find a sly roundabout way to take it from the hands of the government. It mm. seems like Bitcoin might be that thing. Um, uh, but it's heavy, right? Because it does directly uh, sort of conflict with the state and their control over money. And Do you think about that a lot? Or um, I, I guess I just think about it in the dimension of um, the the Internet creates a new reality. And the <laughs> internet will want its own currency, right? <laughs> so it's a, independent of the state for me, um, and I, 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 I just think there's so much interestingness there, and um, I, I would want our nation states to figure out how to m make that work for their constituencies. Um, right. and and provide bridges to it because I, th I think it's a net positive there's there's gonna be a ton of issues obviously and and but I, I see more net positives in us realizing this faster than I do negatives and certainly it enables us to potentially organize faster around bigger existential things that no one nation state can solve alone I, I, I'm a huge fan of um, Yuval who wrote Sapiens and 21 lessons for the 21st century and you know, his, his one of the um, problems he p puts out in, in 21, 21 Lessons is that, like, we're not talking enough as a globe about the existential problems. Um, we're not asking our politicians enough about solving those. And no matter how much China does around climate change or um, the displacement of work through artificial intelligence, it can't solve the global problem alone. It, it has to be everyone. And um, ultimately, you know, people might realize that these things are constraining and right around that. Um, so you you want every means available to you, communication, you want media, you want currency, obviously. Um, so I, I think all these are fundamentals, but I, I, to me, it all goes back to the internet. What what does the internet want to be? And it, it wants a it wants a currency. It's always wanted a currency. It just hasn't had the technology until ten years ago. Um, like it, you know, to, to really look at something that is that is uniform and and, and that is um, uh, has has the right principles behind it and 
has a, a lot of people who are passionate enough to spend all you know, like a, a huge make all these sacrifices to contribute to it for a, a greater good beyond themselves no i completely agree and sorry let's get a little cosmic here like so that's another theme on this podcast is getting cosmic and a lot of people uh a lot of people say that uh, not that this is the first iteration of the internet but uh the first sort of uh wave of commercial apps on the internet may have may have uh sort of made some design mistakes from the get-go that we're still trying to fix Uh, bitcoin can help with that other things can help with that too but like in the timeline of like the internet becoming ubiquitous and everybody having access to it like where do you think we are on that like so so in the sovereign individual they talk about 500 year inflection points based around technological innovation and they argue that the internet is that and the hundred years after that or sort of after that technology is created is is a is a very tumultuous time or very Mm. chaotic time Mm. so from uh, a grand vision of what you see the internet becoming like where are we on that timeline I don't know, but I, I guess what I think about is um, imagine being born this year, growing up only knowing that the potential for a global currency exists. That is exciting. So, I mean, just what that person does, the person born in this year or, you know, e- even the past few years, only growing up only knowing that this potential exists, what that person does with that realization is amazing. I mean, you kind of see this with the adoption of any critical technology, like, you know, um, you see children today going up to any screen and having an expectation that they can slide it and touch it and zoom and use their fingers. And it it just speaks to the impact that um, the iPhone and the iPad had in changing the expectation and, the same was true for the internet and the same is true for the mobile phone and the same is will be true for for bitcoin and blockchain and digital currency so i it feels like that just accelerates things even faster and i think the uh, accessibility of programming gets to a younger and younger age like with the tools today i started programming when i was 14 with the tools today i would have been programming when i was like six and like was it would be able to build something that I would feel proud of and that had some substance to it. Whereas I, I just couldn't figure out how to do that. Like when I was, when I was actually six, so I'm 42. Um, and so I, I think the, the way I'd comment on it is like, I, I think there's a massive acceleration that is going to happen within the next 10 years because the generation growing up only knowing that these technologies is, exist, pairing AI with blockchain, um, and being able to have this uh, amazingly accessible uh, environment to program in, um, so that that's what excites me. Like mm-hmm. the the acceleration points, rather than the the uh, specific points in the timeline. I, I just think we get more and more accelerants. Yeah, no, it's crazy. And so thinking about uh, the ways in which these kids learn, it seems like the education system as well, like sort of needs to change and catch up with the time too. Because I feel like totally programming in schools is probably not not uh, as well taught as it could be totally i yeah i mean i <clears throat> it's uh i mean for for me like I, I dropped out of school i dropped out of college because i was just learning much faster externally by working on stuff than i was uh internally and everyone has their own different way of learning but um i, I do think given all the resources available to folks right now 
the kids growing up today will have probably more preference towards a more digital education and um, an education through experimentation, which to me would have been really exciting. I, I mean, that's the best way I learn. It's just like education through experimentation and like the, the, the playgrounds being crafted that allow you to play with programming languages and concepts like, um, uh, you know, um, algorithms and models and uh, neural networks and um, even even blockchain at a very, very young age is really compelling to me. And and something I'd, you know, if, if I have kids, it would definitely, you know, make available and, and hope that they, they choose. Yeah, um, we're approaching our 30 minutes here. Um, all right, we, we got like a minute left. Let's, I guess we should wrap it up with what are you going to do with your Casa <laughs> What's the first thing you're going to do with it? I'm going to plug it in tonight and figure out what the hell's going on. I'm excited <laughs> because I, I just, I, I love like experiencing entirely new technologies that I'm, uh, that, you know, people have worked so hard to produce. And especially, I love, I love hardware too. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I got into technology because of my dad and he would tinker all the time and he worked on mass spectrometers and had all these Heath kits and I love tinkering with them. So I, I love software, but I love the tangibility of, of this, of this box and, uh, be able to plug it in, just kind of tinker with it. So I'm going to learn as much as I can tonight and get some pizza. I would love, uh, <laughs> I would love to see some Jack graffiti on Satoshi's dot place. Uh, <laughs> great, a great place to test out some let, okay. uh, lightning okay. network. I'll see if I can get there. Take I'll a screenshot, try it on Twitter. It'll blow up. We'll do. Jack, it's been a pleasure. I can't wait to participate in a stacking sat Saturday with you tomorrow. <laughs> I'll, I'll make sure I, the, the limit's clear, but if it is, I'll be there with you. If not next Saturday. All right. Well, again, appreciate the time. Huge fan. Awesome. You've changed my life for the better, I would argue. Thank you so much. So thank appreciate you. Appreciate your work. Uh, peace and love, freaks. Well, that was a surreal experience. I know I had an incredible time. I hope you freaks enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. Before we end here, got to give a quick shout out to our sponsors again. Uh, first off, we got Lolly. Lolly lets you earn up to 30% back in Bitcoin when you shop online. They have over 750 merchants available for you freaks. Anyone from Jet, Overstock, SeatGeek, Priceline, Hotwire, Gap, Macy's, Hilton, Marriott, many more. Uh, it's safe and easy way to, to earn Bitcoin when you're spending online. Lolly.com slash ref slash TFTC. Or you can make it easier. Go to spendfiatstacksats.com. Uh, also, we got Honeyminer. Honeyminer is the easiest way to earn Bitcoin. It's a simple crypto mining application that uses your computer CPUs and GPUs to mine cryptocurrencies and pays you in Bitcoin. Download the app today at honeyminer.com. That's honeyminer.com. If you want to make it easier, you can go to stackingsats.com as well. Whether you have a spare laptop at home or a professional mining operation, Honeyminer is the easiest and most profitable crypto mining software available on the market. Join hundreds of thousands of users from 167 countries already mining on the network today. Again, go to honeyminer.com or stackingsats.com. You'll get a free 1,000 Satoshi Bitcoin bonus. Thank you, freaks, for joining us today. Hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Peace and love. Peace.